Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the industry's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Jackie Cox, who you probably know from season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race. She is amazingly transparent about her journey to drag and just talking about the drag community. She actually took the opportunity to educate me and hopefully everyone else listening on a few things about how we think about gender identity versus actually assigning anatomical parts to people or discussing those sorts of topics or lack thereof. It was actually very, very eye-opening. I enjoyed it a lot. She actually has a podcast called It Do Take Nerd, and through discussing that, helped me make an obvious connection between the queer community and the nerd community of just basically anybody feeling like they maybe don't belong finding a tribe in performing or in having a passion about something. So this episode is uniquely different. I love it a lot. I hope you do too. Please find me online on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Let me know what you think of the episode. Leave a comment. Leave a rating and review wherever you are listening now. And everybody, please enjoy this episode with Jackie Cox. Today's guest may be best known as one of the top four contestants from season 12 of RuPaul's Drag Race and was the first queen of Iranian descent to appear on the show. In New York City, Jackie has been a long feature of the theatrical cabaret scene, performing her own original shows at the famed Lori Beachman Theater. She's also appeared on TV in ABC's What Would You Do? Infusions, Shade, Queens of NYC, as well as numerous appearances on Bravo's Watch What Happens Live. She's back touring again, doing her amazing live shows. Make sure to check her Instagram for ticket information. And also has a wonderful podcast called It Do Take Nerd that is an amazingly funny intersection of queerness and nerddom. Jackie Cox, welcome to the theater podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored. Um, I love that, <laughs> you know, I love that it's, you know, in my bio, it's like, is she top four? Is she top five? We'll never know for sure because of what happened my season of Drag Race. But, you know, you know what? I say let's take the higher number. Top four is fabulous. Top four. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to get finalist. In. Maybe I should just go yeah. with that. Semi finalist. There you go. <laughs> I want to. I want to get into. We'll get into RuPaul and, and all that stuff. I'm sure. Like you've been asked about that a million times. I want to actually start with um, it. Do take nerd. Yeah. Which, of course. Being a podcast host myself, I always love when people have their own podcasts, and it's it's interesting to me because it's the intersection of Two things that I wouldn't have thought would make a good combination or a natural combination, I should say, queerness and nerddom. And I love that what everybody else knows about you, there's this little, there's this other pocket that you're bringing out into the world now about being a big nerd, which being a nerd myself, I can totally relate to every single one of your episodes and everything you're talking about. But for those who don't know, tell us about It Do Take Nerd and, and why did you create it? So we just finished the first season. It was a it's it's fun. It's through World of Wonder podcasts, which um, World of Wonder for the listeners who don't know uh, is the production company who creates RuPaul's Drag Race. And so after you know the show wrapped, you know my season wrapped, I 
they were like, how would you guys, how would you want to work with us in the future? And I was like, I had this idea for a podcast because I realized, you know, there's a, there's one of the, in one of the episodes of Drag Race, you know, we met Whoopi Goldberg and like my reaction was to meeting her was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell everyone at the next Star Trek convention <laughs> I go to that I met Guinan from the 10 forward lounge of Star Trek Next Generation. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take that like very specific energy. And I feel like I, I can't be alone here, you know, especially even so many of the guests were queens from my season of Drag Race and to find out all the things that they nerd out about was really exciting. And then to bring in folks who are like, kind of other queer figures in the nerd universe was really exciting. And uh, what I think is interesting is I think what makes a nerd a nerd is their just kind of devotion and like love of, you know, something. And I know we're all theater nerds here um, at this, (laughs) on this podcast, you know, we, you know, I've of course say have playbills from like 20 years ago. You know, I have all those nerdy kind of, uh, memorabilia of theater, but then there's other there's other things we can be nerdy about too, and it's it's amazing to me how much being queer um, is 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 not a factor in in the sense that I would say most nerddoms are now especially welcoming of people from all different stripes, and I think it's really important that we celebrate some of the queer themes that are found in a lot of these nerdy things. Certainly, Broadway is very queer, um, <laughs> and you know we can we can kind of embrace that and celebrate that. Find out where actually being queer was kind of an entry point for some of us into some of these fandoms, seeing ourselves represented in ways that maybe we weren't being traditionally represented. Um, and I think that certainly has happened with theater since you know the dawn of theater, but certainly here in the United States and American theater, you know, we had so many queer coded characters and also in theater was the first place we saw more representation of queer people than in movies and TV. Right. I think we actually had more queer characters on the stage first, you know, and I I think that that's important to see yourself represented, whether in a literal sense, um, as a queer character or in kind of the, I guess we could say Tennessee Williams sense of kind of coded queer characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, I think something that's always fun to explore, always fun to talk about. And, uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the impetus for the podcast. And hopefully in season two, we'll go into more, we'll move into more nerdy topics. Uh, but season one is available all six episodes. So if you're bored after this, listen to that. <laughs> well, there'll be a link in the show notes, of course. And as you were talking about that, it very much occurred to me how wrong I was in how I was just originally introducing this. I said, think two things that normally wouldn't go together, queerness and nerddom. But as you said that, I was, uh, I was thinking, yeah, of course they go together. Like, we talk about finding your tribe and 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 being having a belonging and a sense of self and a sense of purpose. And before we started recording, I was telling you that, you know, please let me know that if my questions as a cisgendered straight white male uh, come across as ignorant or just phrased the wrong way, I want to know, right? Because I want to be educated. I want to be better. And I think this is one of those times when I just realized that my own precognition, pre, my predisposition mm-hmm. of what nerddom is has never included queerness because it's never had to. But based on what you just said, it absolutely has to. 
And I, I love that. I love that you just mentioned that because people who maybe feel alone in one way or another, no matter what they are, they find love with fellow nerds at saying that in a positive way. Yeah, it is positive. And it also is a great entry point into seeing something beyond yourself. You know, I think whether it's on stage or, you know, in a comic book or in, you know, a favorite movie or TV show, you know, seeing representation of other people, right? I go back to like Star Trek being the first interracial kiss on national television in the 60s. Yes. Yes. And, and even though it was, you know, it was a, it was in an episode where like the characters were under the influence of, you know, this, that, or the other, you know, problem of the day or what have you. Um, it still mattered, you know, and I think Star Trek works so much in allegory and I know theater does as well. And I think whether you belong to a community or not, seeing it represented um, in the things that you're a nerd about helps give you an access point too. So that's so important. And I mean, I think about so many stories that have been told on stage, for example, and seeing them, you know, just even thinking, you know, to the biggest theater juggernaut of the last 10 years, which is Hamilton and seeing Mm -hmm. a story that is, it is about Alexander Hamilton, but it's really about what it is to be an outsider in America making it, you know, and to see so many people of color, you know, sharing that story. It was obviously so powerful and has now made millions of dollars. Uh, but, you know, you think of the two biggest theatrical properties on Broadway, right? The Lion King and Hamilton and their stories, you know, Hamilton's a story about a white person. Uh, Lion King was a story written by white people, uh, but, you know, told through, you know, bringing in actually people of color onto that the stage is so powerful. And I think is part of the reason why those two shows have continued to resonate and dominate the lion king the musical is the number one grossing entertainment property in the history of the world ever <laughs> did you know that no i did not the I lion did not king that. not lion king the movie lion king the musical through ticket sales and i be- i think album sales from lion king the musical may be incorporated as well but through ticket sales i believe is the number one grossing entertainment property ever it's made more money than star wars Lion wow. King, the musical, has made billions of dollars. That's insane. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I had no idea. I had no idea. I would have said Star Wars or even Star Trek. No, Lion or- King, the musical, has made more money than anything ever. More than any album. More than, I think, anything. It's the number one entertainment property. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up just so that we have the number, but it is, isn't that wild? Yeah, that is that's totally wild. While while you're looking that up, um, I I want to see if I can make a parallel and and let me know again if I'm like completely off base here. But the the I guess pretending to be somebody else is appealing to a lot of people. It's appealing like that's why people love theater. That's why people love watching theater. And I want to make sort of a comparison to the drag community because. I think this is, uh, maybe it, I was going to say it's a niche within a niche, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's it's like two different niches that have a little bit of a Venn diagram overlap, right? Because there's mm-hmm. people who like to who like to dress up, who like to be their own costume designers, who like to be their own production designers, and you create a story and a narrative, and do all of these amazing things to put on a show. And it's 
I guess you could be part of a drag community and not, or be a drag queen and not be part of theater or, and vice versa. But then there's special people, I believe like yourself, who are that perfect merge of the two that have allowed, that's, that's been responsible for so much of your success. It is a merging of the two. And I mean, drag is so appealing because it is kind of whatever you want it to be. But then certainly you have a lot of creative control over your drag as the drag performer. You decide what number you're going to do, where it's going to be, what your costume is, everything. You know, you probably don't usually get to decide all the lighting choices, but other than that, pretty much everything else is your decision. And that was so appealing to me. And I moved to New York City uh, in 2010 for the first time you know, thinking maybe I would try to do, you know, the, the, the legitimate stage. And I, I use that term, you know, in I guess the professional way, but I mean, I think all stages are legitimate. Um, and I realized I was like, oh, I don't know if I fit in with like what Broadway was casting at the time. And I say at the time, because I do think and hope that the definition of who should be on Broadway is expanding. And it's not just six foot tall, muscular, men who can sing, you know, mm-hmm. up over a high A, you know, I, I think we're now expanding it to just be, I think people telling authentic stories, um, hopefully. Right. So I, I, you know, but I, I, I found drag kind of, uh, by luck. Um, I did a production of Hedwig and the Angry Inch the year prior, 2009, and I moved to New York after having that experience. I got here and I was like, Oh, I don't know if the theater world is for me. And a friend was producing, uh, an, uh, uh, drag competition off Broadway and was like, you know, come do this. And I was like, I don't, I don't even have a drag name, anything. And then it all kind of happened. And I, and I just found so much power in the ability to kind of really own the stage through drag and drag kind of gives both the audience and the drag performer a lot of freedom to, do almost anything to say things, to talk about things in different ways. You know, it's, it's why, you know, when you, if you go to, if you've ever been to theater school, you, you study a lot of uh, forms of theater that are probably not very popular, but because of their, the power they give you, you know, working with masks, working in clowning. These are things that like, are like classic theater kid things that like you learn. It's like weird improv games, but you learn about the power that those things bring you and like the, the ability of what you can do either in a mask as a clown and drag is all kind of related to that. Um, and it gives you so much freedom and power. And I think the biggest and most important thing that is happening now is, you know, we're really having, in addition to a conversation around, race in this country. We're also having a really big conversation around gender. What Mm -hmm. is gender? How do we express gender? How do we um, personally identify our own gender? And um, what is and isn't allowed, I think is, is starting to be really expanded. You know, drag was illegal in most parts of this country for most of the history of this country, right? You know, the Stonewall riots, uh, you know, the police would bust gay bars because there were people wearing the wrong gender clothing here in New York city. And that was an excuse to arrest people. Mm -hmm. Um, so these are things that have changed so much in just 50 years and drag is still on the forefront of that. You know, we have representation of folks in this community who are not just cis cisgender gay men, but all the entire gender spectrum. And I think it's important to realize that drag is for everyone. Um, And so that is something hugely important that I'm honored to, to carry, carry on 
in my drag and also be a welcoming space for those of all genders to participate in or enjoy drag. It's for everyone. Um, and that was part of the big appeal to me. I did look it up, by the way, while we, while we were talking. Um, oh, the Lion King number? The Lion King. It, in September yeah. 2014, it became the top earning title in box office history for both stage productions and films. Um, and as of 2017, so this is old, the Lion King musicals grossed $8.1 billion. So that's wow. just ticket sales. I guess I should clarify. So it's the number one grossing thing for ticket sales. Plus merchandise and music and everything yeah, I'm else sure in general it's it. made a lot more money, but $8.1 billion. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Gosh. And that was in 2017. So now we're in 2021. Yeah. I know they, they were closed for a year, but I'm sure they've made more since then. But they, I'm sure they've got some cash reserves. They're, they're okay. Yeah. Um, wow. Well, what you were saying about um, uh, you know, the, the gender... Uh, okay, so gender identity is not sexual preference, right? There's no, two, two, two very different Not things. sexual orientation at all. You know, you can yes. be attracted to, honestly, anyone. Um, you can be attracted mm-hmm. to uh, whoever you're attracted to, and that has nothing to do with who you are, right? I think, I think it's important that we start understanding the difference of those two things and the intersections of those two things. You know, not all trans women are attracted to men, not all, you know, Obviously, not all cisgender men are attracted to women, right? These are things that people, I think, made assumptions about in different part times in history. You know, you can be attracted to any gender. You can also be any gender. Well, so then in going by the traditional sense of, of the, I guess, the, the standard definition of drag means a man dressing up in women's clothing, right? But obviously, that is, that's evolved, Totally it, evolved. That's very much evolved in it, yeah. very it recently, and I, I think um, I love the conversations that Peppermint helped to facilitate when you know mm-hmm. Peppermint was the first openly trans woman to uh, to be a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race alone, but she was also the first, uh, I believe, trans woman to originate a principal role on Broadway she in did. Head Over Heels. Yes. Right. So who also played a a non-binary character. So her personal journey Mm -hmm. was different yet, you know, separate, but you still related to the character's journey of Mm -hmm. being the non-binary Oracle, which I think was just great in and of itself. But have, has there been a growing, I guess, what's the conversation been around um, the trans community and how they view the, the drag community? Well, the thing is, is regardless of, I think you're right in that I think the public perception of what drag was, was a man dressed in women's clothing. However, trans women have always been part of the drag community. Drag, you know, drag sometimes helps some trans women discover that they're trans. I hmm. Certainly not all. Um, but drag is sometimes a way for a trans woman to play and discover and learn about herself. But we have to remember too that drag is performance. And I think that's the real de- difference in, in between drag and gender identity is drag is still performance at the end of the day. And whether mm-hmm. your performance, right, all actors find ways to include their part of their truth in their performance. But, you know, just because I perform as Jackie Cox doesn't mean that all elements of her, which is my creation, are entirely fake or they're not all entirely part of me right and the, sometimes the line is blurred a little but tr- trans women have always been part of the drag community and that is certainly certainly a huge part of not just 
the drag community, but trans women were also at the forefront of gay rights, you know, mm -hmm. as, as some of the most visible members of our community. Um, and of course, sadly, that also means there have been in the past targets of the most violence. So we, we, we owe so much debt to our trans siblings and certainly the trans women who really were the pioneers in the gay rights movement. Um, so Peppermint being on the show was so incredible. Knowing Peppermint was able to translate the success on a reality television show to being on Broadway is something that like, hello. I mean, I remember <laughs> when I first moved to New York City, you know, before I even did drag, I think one of the first drag queens I saw was Peppermint and seeing her perform her songs was so incredible. Um, it, it is obviously inspiring to me. She's been such a huge, you know, pillar of this community. Also just a lovely person. Um, I was lucky enough to do um, the We Will Be Back demonstration in Times Square with her. We, you know, she's my, I, I'm honored to say that I consider her a sister and just continue to be so proud of her. And the, it's, what's great about Peppermint is she kind of brings visibility to just a truth that's always been there, which is that trans women of color have always been part of the drag community. And she brings light to the fact that drag the queer community, the trans community, the the non-legitimate theater community are just right outside the steps of Broadway. And it is, I think, to us, still one community. You know, we not may have we we may not have the unions and the producers and all the backing, but I know so many people who have lived between both worlds, the off-Broadway, the cabaret, the burlesque. It's all one big theatrical pool that happens honestly, you know, within a span of 20 blocks in, in New York city. And it, it feeds off of each other. You know, we think about shows like kinky boots, you know, Harvey Firestein. These are, these are, <laughs> these are, these are, these are creators who know both sides, right. Who know both sides of this community, the, the kind of, I, and I hate to even say this underground because I don't think it is underground anymore, but it was underground for so long actually and see how those influences piece, how that influences pieces of legitimate theater. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see what happens next, especially the, one of the interesting things about this year, it's been devastating for so many of my friends who've been in these union shows and these big union houses, you know, because there has been no union work. However, for those of us, you know, in the drag nightlife community, I mean, drag queens are like cockroaches. We will survive <laughs> any pandemic. I mean, all a drag queen needs is literally a box to stand on and someone holding a light because we will make a show happen no matter what. You know, it, even if everyone in the audience is wearing hazmat suits, we'll make a show happen, right? So I think it's been interesting because... I've been able to still work a little bit, right? And I think we found ways to do things virtually, digitally. I mean, drag is one of those art forms that can kind of work almost in any space. So I hope knowing that we've kind of been holding this torch of live performance this past year, and not just, you know, in performing, but something that was really important to me um, was in addition to my podcast, I did a YouTube show that ran for, I think we did over 30 episodes um, to kind of celebrate Broadway performers as well, um, which you can check out at broadwaytalklive.com. But that was really because so many of my friends from this community, the theatrical community were out of work and I wanted some way to celebrate them or if they were doing other virtual projects to help, you know, amplify those projects. Um, or, you know, some people were starting wine businesses, candle making businesses. I'm here to help mm -hmm. this community in any way I can. And so I certainly uh, want the future to kind of touch on that part, the future I want, 
us to move forward together. You know, I want us to remember where we come from uh, as we move into a more inclusive um, future for the theatrical community to really remember those folks who have always been there and always part of it and maybe not celebrated as much. So I want, I don't want to try to speak for anybody else. Obviously, I think I'm going to ask you to speak for yourself in what it is about performing in drag that is so attractive. Because you said something a little, a little while ago that said that true drag is, is performance. It's not, it's not trying to, I guess, be a woman. It's performing, right? So, it is. right. So, there are people who legitimately are, they don't want to perform. They are just anatomically born with male parts and want to be uh, uh, more identify with female parts. Um, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, parts are a separate co- conversation. So I think the question of parts is something for each person to disclose or not disclose or discuss or not discuss on their own merit and benefit. I love, I'm glad you brought it up only because I think parts are the most personal and least important from a general discourse or conversation uh-huh. of this topic. So whenever you meet a trans person, the last thing you should question or think about are parts. It should really be about what is their gender identity. And gender identity can be about anatomy and those things, but is is not is certainly not in a way you relate to the outside world, right? You don't ask someone who's cisgender what their parts are. You wouldn't ask someone who's transgender what their parts are. It's not, right. it's not, that's not gender identity, right? I think so, you know, for those for the listeners out there, and it's I think we we use the terms assigned male at birth, assigned female at birth. And then the reasons they were assigned or not assigned often obviously do have to do with the anatomy they were born with. However, not always. And honestly, none of our business, right? All you need to Mm. know is they were assigned male at birth and now they are are a trans woman or they are trans, you know, or they're non-binary, right? And so I think the question of what parts they had or have or will have in the future are not for us. Um, So that's just, so I wanted to pause there before we went further on that conversation. But um, gender identity is about, who you are, not about anything else. Well, thank you. Thank you very much yeah, for correcting me. Um, so where, what my question, I guess, is, is that as, as somebody who's looking to get into drag, I guess I sort of see two, two paths or I guess two reasons behind it. One would be um, it's just so far away from who I personally identify with that it is so much fun to perform as somebody that's completely not myself and it's an over the top it's a way that as you were saying a while ago um to to say things in a different way or to be a character and do do things and talk about things in a way you wouldn't normally do it right but then there's also the other side that i would guess is is the more serious side which is i want to see what it feels like to be to dress as a woman or to be a woman and and this is my chance to do it in a safe environment. Sure, it can be. It doesn't have to be. You know, it, it, it can be those things for you if those are the things that you want to explore in drag. The, the, the big difference, and I think Peppermint says this well, she's like, drag is what I do, 
being a trans woman is who I am. Peppermint yes. says that. I, I am yes. not a trans woman. So I think it's it's important to understand just those two things. And why you do drag could be for any number of reasons. Some queens just love the way they look in drag. And they don't even like performing. <laughs> they just want to show up at the club in an amazing look and have everyone look at them and that is why they do drag. I like to do drag because I like to express a lot with my drag. You know, I like to say things and talk about things and, you know, make people laugh and make people smile and make people think. And I think drag is a way that I can do that. Um, but the reasons are different for everyone. And if you have the inkling to do drag, just do it. And maybe you're, maybe you can even articulate why it's appealing to you in that moment, but just do it anyway and see what you feel. See if it unlocks something in you in, in your performance, in the way you see yourself, in any, it, it can be anything, just like any character, right? I think we, we think about, you know, you read a lot of interviews with actors and they're like, oh yeah, this character, getting into this character was something of a journey for me. And the journey is always really fun, you know? So I think for me, it's been a 10 year journey as Jackie Cox. And I've learned so much about her and about myself, where the two of us intersect, where we're different. Um, you know, and I, I'm here at this interview as Jackie Cox, but of course, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the real, this is not a performance, this, this, this podcast. So, right. you know, when you see me on stage, it is a performance and the lines of where I end and Jackie begins are kind of constantly blurred and that's okay for me. Um, and it's kind of just for me to know and for the audience to find out. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. A drag queen is a drag queen created or born? What's the correct terminology? Oh, I mean, I think it's 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 whatever you want. I I, I would say no one's uh I haven't heard anyone making really big um claims to either <laughs> I, I, I mean I, I i alternate between the two you know in my mind i created jackie cox but then and also in my mind she was born the first day i performed as her but I've, i guess i could i guess i'd kind of been creating her uh since college right because she so if, for those who don't know my origin story jackie cox the name uh was actually something my, my best friend blake and i made up in college as we were in theater school and she was this kind of character we created uh who was this like musical theater diva um, who thought she was like the main, you know, attraction of the world, but she was kind of a little clueless. So she was a bit of a clueless character. So there's always a bit of that in Jackie Cox, me now is that, you know, she thinks she's like going to be going on, you know, to, you know, play Christine and Phantom and really she's playing Meg, you know, or she's not even Meg at this point. I'm old. So she's like Madame Jiri, you know, she's like, she's not really there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that was something really fun for me to explore is that kind of, um, a little bit of that, you know, drag is a little, it's larger than life. And certainly most drag queens I know, and I don't mean this as an insult, we're all a little delusional about how big of a star as we are. You know, we're all a little <laughs> bit like, oh yeah, I'm the main, you know, the main attraction. And it's like, yeah, you're at a gay bar of 20 people. Of course, you're the main attraction. Um, but you know, we, we can't take it all. We can't take it seriously. And I think some drag queens take their drag very seriously all the time. And there's certainly elements of my drag that I take very seriously. But then I always have to like step back and be like, okay, well, what I do is still, you know, slightly ridiculous. I'm wearing very ridiculous clothing. My hair is like twice the size of my head. Like these are all things that are just, it's definitely an exaggerated art form. And I think we have to remember to take the piss out of it a little bit sometimes. Uh, we can certainly talk about serious <laughs> things and you can use drag, which is a 
some would say, a frivolous art form to talk about serious topics. That's possible, right? You can definitely do that with drag. You don't have to. And uh, I think regardless of whether you do or not, is to remember at the end of the day to not take it maybe as seriously as, as you would think. I can see that. I can very much see that. But going back even further, like what got you into theater? What, what was attracting you to just performing in general? It's a great question. Yeah, I, I'd love to know the psychology of why we do this, right? Um, no, I mean, I love, to, I love to tell stories. I love to make people smile. I love to make people think. Um, I, love, um, I love sharing truth through theater. You know, I think that's something we all strive for, right? Regardless of whether it's a comedy or a drama or drag performance or a, quote, legitimate performance. We're all striving to uncover some truth of the human experience and share it. I think that's what all art does. But certainly for me, that's I found my ability to express those truths was with my voice um, and the ability to bring truth to character, bring truth to the stage was something that I realized at a young age. I, I, I think I, I've talked about this before, but one of my first kind of memories of theater was in elementary school, we did this like play at Halloween time about like a sad ghost who was sad because no one could see him until he put a sheet over him Aww. himself because he was a ghost. And I remember yeah. we had to like audition for it. And like the teacher said, like, I believed you were that sad. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> I don't know this is about me. I was an only child. So I kind of did have a lonely childhood experience, but I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Like I can actually bring some truth to whatever it is I do. Um, and that was appealing to me to, to be able to share myself in that way. I did kind of have a lonely childhood. And so, you know, to connect with other people through performing was probably a big appeal for me. That explains a little bit, I think, of the, uh, the Star Trek love and the nerddom. You, you oh, know, yeah. I was sitting alone. Yeah. yeah, I was by myself a lot. Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. Um, it's It's... Very, very. It's very cool to me how how people kind of fall into this path of getting in, of I guess getting into theater. And uh, you moved to New York thinking you were going to do legit, you know, traditional theater, as we sure. were saying. Um, <laughs> and and like at what point? I guess you know Jackie Cox was created as sort of you know by your friend, but then at what point were you like? Oh, this is something that I could really do. This is something I can continue with without going towards the the traditional path. I'll put in air quotes of making it on Broadway. You know, I actually decided pretty quickly when I got here. I went to a couple open calls, and I was like, "This is hell. Like, what is this? You're it's like five a.m. You're trying to get it. You're not. You're not in the unions. So you're just like hoping that someone will see you." I was like, "This is not it." I was like, "I don't think I can do this." I you know, I, I discovered pretty quickly that theater wasn't for me. And so I actually started pursuing a totally separate career uh, in corporate retail, um, well, which is different. like a career I held. I mean, but the thing is, so I pursued that career, which I was really good at, but certainly was um, not something I was super passionate about. <laughs> uh, and I kind of discovered drag after I'd already made that decision. So I already made that decision. And then I was like, oh, well, now I'm depressed because all I do is like, sell people clothes they don't need. Um, <laughs> so I 
found drag and then I realized, oh, okay, here's what's cool about drag is it happens whenever you want. And usually it happens outside of the hours of nine to five, right? Drag is almost always nighttime. Um, and I found a way to make a whole side career. So drag was my side career, right? I was been doing it for 10 years and I, I built up a career for myself doing off-Broadway theater, doing these little things on TV shows and whatever. But I still had this whole other like corporate retail career. Most people in my corporate job had no idea that I did drag. I kept it all very separate, very Hannah Montana. Um, and then I decided to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race. It was my first time auditioning. Uh, I got on the show and I put in my two weeks notice at my job. And <laughs> now I just do this. <laughs> Although, you know what? I'm glad I had that corporate retail career because I've sold a lot of glasses. 3,000 <laughs> pairs of my glasses that you can buy at JackieCoxNYC.com uh, and support my drag uh, through buying my merchandise. <laughs> well, I was going to bring that up because you're, you're calling in here. We're doing this interview. You were saying from your, your you have a whole separate studio and your wigs I are behind do. you. And I see a little corner of a green screen and like you've a actually screen. got... A business center, more or less, where where you do you do the profession of being a a drag queen, and I yeah. think that's that's. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's hard to get to this point where you can make a living exclusively off of this kind of thing. And you, you know, we were saying totally. at the beginning, you're starting to tour again, so you're doing mm-hmm. touring shows, and you've got merchandise for sale. And is it is it more about creating and then maintaining a brand? And I guess then the corporate retail go, the training goes along with that, then if that's the case. It's all of the things. I think, you know, for the listeners who are like, what does Jackie even love? I love making people smile, right? And so I think I do that in all of my content I create. Um, and I certainly stand behind all of the merchandise I sell. But, you know, not all the content we make actually makes us money. So one of the, like, one of the things that I poured my heart and soul into this last, you know, couple months was I decided I really loved the character of Agatha on WandaVision. And I decided I was going to do a whole Instagram series of looks inspired by her and inspired by Catherine Hahn. And, you know, I had this gorgeous, you know, gorgeous costume based on the original Agatha Harkness comic book character created. All of this stuff. I did that all out of my own pocket. And I did it, put all of the content online for free. And I did it because it was something that made me smile. But I'm always like, I have to remind the kids, like, if you like that content that I'm just giving you for free, like, remember, I also have merchandise in ways you can pay me. You know, so I think it's the the economy of being a drag queen. I'm still trying to figure out in this new part of my life. But I, I do like to remind the kids, like, if you enjoy my free content, please also support my content that maybe is paid for by other companies. You know, they're supporting a queer artist as well. You know, all of the, all of the, it can be, look, I'm not saying you have to love everything I post. I'm not saying you have to buy all the products that I'm I'm selling. But you know what you can do? It costs you nothing. Just hit like, hit the like button. It's so easy. And it honestly helps us pay our rent. You know, and I think that's something that, that the, I, I wish I could actually explain the economy of this to, to the folks watching who are, who are like, why is Jackie selling this, that, and the other thing on her Instagram. And I'm like, because if you love all of the free drag content I give you, someone has to pay the bill. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, people don't get that. And, and there's Speaking actually... Of, I'm not sure who the sponsors are of this podcast, but if there are any, support them. Just click on the website. Even if you don't purchase, just click and read about whatever the product is. I don't know what the sponsors are, but support them. Dynamic ad insertions. It changes all the time. Right. Um, yeah, so I well, thank you for that. Um, 
Okay, and it costs okay. you nothing. Here's the thing is, I, I, I wish people understood that too, is that it costs you nothing to support mm-hmm. a performer you love in the way that they're making money. All you have to do is click. It's so yeah. easy. <laughs> you know what I wish? I wish along those lines, if I'm being honest, I wish that more people would comment on Instagram posts. I just want to see that yeah. people are there. Like I do it, it puts a smile on my face to see to get people engaged and to get comments of like, oh, that was really eye-opening or, or hey, stupid, that was a dumb question. But at least I know they're paying attention, yeah. right? So I want to I wanna know, I want, yes, just like, share with your friends, all, all of this stuff, it's completely free, it's completely easy. And yeah, for those listening, it does help. It, it helps a lot for us to, for all of us artists to keep going. Well, now that social media exists, right? It, it's not going away and it's how everyone who potentially has a check to give us, right? You want us to make money, whether or not you're paying us or not. You want you want the, the, the podcasters and the drag queens that you love to make money. And the way they make money is companies look at our numbers. They look to see how many people are commenting, how many people are engaging with our content. Mm-hmm. And that's literally how they decide how much to pay us. And it's that simple. It's like, I wish I could sometimes, because the kids are like, what's happening? I'm like, just comment, just like it, just share it, just do yeah. it. It's easy. Yeah. Just repost, on, <laughs> repost on your feed. Do it. Have a like. Reshare it. Whatever you need. It's so 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 easy. <laughs> I love that. Um, do you have a favorite episode from It Do Take Nerd? I do think my favorite one was the episode with um, Jada Essence Hall and Anthony Rapp because first of all, I love Jada. Jada was the winner of my season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Jada talks a mile a minute. And Jada had posted on her Twitter, she was like, I'm thinking about getting into Star Trek. And I was like, girl, call me. I literally (laughs) sent her like a list of episodes to watch. And then she started getting really into it. And then separately, she posted that Rent, the movie, was one of her favorite movies. I love Rent, the musical. I'll be honest. I don't love Rent, the movie. But I Mm -hmm. love the musical. And of course, we love Anthony Rapp. And he's on, you know as one of the first main openly gay characters on a Star Trek series, along with Wilson Cruz. And I, I was like, this is going to be fun. So I literally brought Jada on and we, I surprised her with Anthony Rapp. And it was just so cute to watch the two of them kiki. And I think it's so fun because, you know, I, I think the perception of Jada is that she is like this like fierce black excellence diva drag queen, you know, gorgeous, most popular girl in school is probably what I would imagine her as. But then to also know she has this like nerdy side that loves Star Trek and musical theater. I loved exposing her. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, that's what I love. That's what I love about about your podcast. It's it's It was a lot of fun. It's just exposing these sides of people that in in a very fun way that people don't know is there and and it's yeah it's so much fun and i love that you know anthony rap loves drag queens right like that's yeah. not something you associate him with yeah i think it's lovely it's absolutely lovely he's so, he, he's honestly the sweetest and is probably one of the best at engaging with his kind of nerd fandom as well like he plays dungeons and dragons he's amazing he's like i i think i called him this on the episode but i would i would stand by the statement i think he's the king of the nerds Anthony Rapp may be the king of the nerds. What about Will Wheaton, though? 
Well, Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton would be the king, and I certainly. So I'm a couple years younger than Will Wheaton, and when Next Generation was airing on TV, I had the biggest crush on Will Wheaton. Um, but you know, Will Wheaton isn't gay, so he loses a point for me on that. <laughs> um, and he's not, you know, the star of Broadway musicals, so he loses a point from there. So in my book, Anthony Rapp wins because he's gay and an amazingly talented musical theater actor. All right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So let's wrap up here with the three standard closing questions that I ask everybody. The first one, very simple. What motivates you? What motivates me the most is the feeling of joy that I can bring to my audience. If I can bring some joy to them, and that's what brings me joy. Next question then, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? I would say take more risks. Um, Take as many calculated risks as you can. Try as many things uh, as you can. I've found so much success just by trying, right? I I waited till I was 34 years old to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race. And I probably could have auditioned 10 years earlier, right? Um, So... I took that risk and it paid off and take risks, especially when there's risks, you have nothing to lose. I didn't lose anything by auditioning for RuPaul's Drag Race and no one does. So whatever that thing is for you, take those risks. Awesome. Okay, last question. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? It's a great question. When I was a kid, I watched West Side Story, the movie over and over again. I loved it so much. Um, I think... Looking back on that movie, knowing that we did not cast people who probably should have been playing those roles, does color it and taint it a little bit for me. Um, uh, and I'm excited for the new movie version of West Side Story. I'm excited for you know more actual representation. The show that I saw recently that I only saw it once, but I want to see it again because it, it really this show gave me that feeling that I hope I hope to give people which is that feeling of joy and the belief in the human spirit. I loved Come From Away. And I remember leaping to my feet at the end because I felt so much joy in the human spirit. I don't know if I want to watch it over and over again, but that's the that was the show that I saw recently. I guess it was a couple of years ago now, but I saw it and I was just like leapt to my feet at the belief in the human spirit, the idea of community, people coming from all over the world. Um, and, you know celebrating humanity i thought was mm-hmm. really beautiful uh so i don't I, I don't have a good answer for you but those two shows are what popped into my head no i like that a lot and and come from away too i know that they very purposely wrote it and staged it like this is it's i think it's 80 minutes or 90 minutes no intermission i think it's 80 um but no intermission and once it starts it's like you're shot out of a cannon yeah. and it just goes and goes and goes because that yeah. was the frantic nature of what was actually happening they wanted to capture right. that energy and put it on stage so i think i think they did a very good job and i agree with you that you know at the end of it it, it was done i was like uh, all i know how to do right now is just stand up and clap that's yeah. those that's the urge i'm feeling so yeah I, that's how i, I felt Yeah, I agree with you. Where can we find you online and buy tickets and all of the good social media stuff? 
So I'm at Jackie Cox NYC on all social media, including TikTok for the kids. Um, and <laughs> uh, I'll be posting on my Instagram about all of my upcoming appearances. I am finally starting to tour. We are ready for hot vax summer. We're still staying as socially distant as we can, still masking up where we need to. But yes, I will be out visiting a town near you, hopefully very soon. So just check out my Instagram for the latest on that. Absolutely. Wonderful. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support just by liking, clicking, sharing, you know, the exactly. stuff we talked about earlier. Free stuff. It's so free. Free. So free. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Jackie, thank you so much. This is, I mean, I normally wrap it up by saying like, oh, this is a great conversation, great conversation. But like, I legit got an education in this oh, in this conversation. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I had a lot of fun with you too. Thank you, thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. You are a wonderful person, and uh, I hope that when all this pandemic shit is over, that we can uh, we can see each other live and in person. It's gonna happen. It's gonna. It's all. It's all happening. It's happening. Take a deep breath. Make the world a little colorful. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.